Oh, hello, and welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. My name is Terry, and you know what you should go do right now? Support this podcast on Patreon. That's right. Send a few dollars my way to help keep this baby running. I've included a link to my Patreon in the description of this chat, so please go check that out, and thank you very much. Okay, bye. Okay, hello again. Today I'm chatting with super duper extra cool stop motion animator Harry Chaskin, not only about his career as a completely freelance stop motion animator, but also about his 15 minute long short live action stop motion mix film called Steel Cut Oats, which you can now go watch on Vimeo. So if you're wondering, hey, I want to direct and produce my own amazing stop-mo live-action short film, or if you're thinking to yourself, hey, I want to run my own freelance stop-motion career for years and years and years and be really successful at it and good at it, then you definitely want to tune into Harry's chat. So without further ado, let's jump into Harry's chat. Hi, Harry. How How's it going this fine evening? Hello. It's going great. How are you doing? I'm doing good now that we're chatting. <laughs> we, our dogs. We already introduced each other to our dogs, which is which is fun. <laughs> That's what this is for, right? This is the dog yeah. the dog meeting. Yes, uh, this is. We a, might talk a... about animation too, but uh, mostly the dogs. <laughs> yeah, for anybody listening who thought we were going to chat about animation, I'm sorry. This is going to be a dog <laughs> chat. Well, now that we're chatting about your dogs, why don't you why don't you tell us about your two dogs and your cat? <laughs> Uh, okay, yeah, I got uh, two pups, big boys, uh, Ziggy and Ernie. And Ziggy and al- Ernie. Yeah, and a little albino cat named Boo. Ziggy, uh, Ernie, and Boo, and it looks like I don't. It looks like Ernie. Is that Ernie? That's that's Ernie. You oh can tell. Goodness. I mean, he looks like an Ernie. What do you call? What is his? What is Ernie's full name? Uh, well, it started as Ernest Hemingway when we got him as a as a puppy. Except we quick we quickly realized that his personality was not that of a stoic uh, sort of uh, masculine, terse, uh, tough guy. He's he's more like the Muppet than uh, than the author. So he just became Ernie. Maybe maybe when he gets a little bit older. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. He's two years old and he hasn't gotten any less silly. So oh, well, he's still I think Ernie him. sticks. What about yeah. Ziggy? What is Ziggy's full name? I love that you knew they had full names. Well, so, you know, come on. I guess everybody's dog has a full name. He's uh, Ziggy Stardust or Ziggy okay. Stardog. Okay, Ziggy, Ziggy a... Stardust and uh, Ernest Hemingway. And Boo? Yeah. Boo what is Boo short for? Uh, that's the really nerdy one. Boo is short for Boobastis, which is the name of the genetically modified links in the comic Watchmen. But, well, I didn't uh, know that, and now I know. Well, even if you've even if you've read it, it's a very obscure character that appears in like two or three panels. But uh, we thought it was fitting since she's albino and genetically unique. Uh, wow, you so have that's... a you have a real knack for naming things. Each each. Each animal is named after a completely different fandom. I, I know. If I could, say. if I could have a career naming animals, I'd probably get out of the whole animation game. But, well, uh, you just right. go work for a shelter. I'm sure you can name <laughs> lots of animals. My dog Moose is just Moose. That's it. It's it's oh, yeah? uh, it, it's not it's not long for anything. It's not short for anything. It's just Moose. So mm. I guess well, I should have consulted you and we named him. <laughs> maybe it'll it'll evolve as he as he grows. Well, I mean, he's got a lot of, uh, like, I call him a little big baby all the time because that's how he acts. <laughs> so he's LBB, otherwise known as Moose. All right. Well, animation. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's right. Really, that's okay. Really animation. Stop motion specifically. 
Yes. I mean, you've had a quite an illustrious career and you just launched a super fantastic live action slash stop motion, seamlessly integrated, perfectly executed film that you can now watch. But let's, you know, I want to talk about how that happened, but let's roll it back and just talk about, you know, how you've made it in stop motion as a career for how how for many sure. years have you been doing this now? Oh, geez, I'm going to date myself here. Uh, over, let's say over a decade. 100 years. Wow. 100 oh years. Yeah. No, okay, I, so 10, 10 plus years exclusively doing stop motion as a, as a freelance stop motion animator? A uh, little bit of everything. Yeah. I mean, stop motion is my bread and butter. And I've worked a lot, you know, in, in the beginning of my career. The beginning of my career, I was animating almost exclusively, but I've also worked in fabrication, art department, puppet building, and, you know, lately focusing much more on directing and producing, which is always where my heart kind of was. Yeah. Uh, but I've also done some 2D as well. Uh, I produced a 2D series for CloudCo, which is American Greetings uh animation arm they do care bears and all that nostalgic stuff uh and uh, a couple years ago i did a series for uh, six point harness and netflix as well that was kind of a 2d documentary thing but yes for for the most part stop motion wearing various hats has been uh, my primary focus uh, oh yeah since, tell since me about school. um at what point did you say to yourself, like, okay, out of all the careers I'm going to pick, out of all the pressures that are facing me to make money in the world, I'm going to make stop motion the thing that propels me forward? Because <laughs> uh, clearly I'm delusional. No, it, uh, <laughs> it's funny. I feel like everybody that I know in stop motion, myself included, kind of stumbles into it, you know, that's one of the reasons I love the art form and fell in love with it is it's such an amalgam of different skill sets. You're not just drawing, you're sculpting, you're lighting, you're building, you know, I, there are people that work in the art department that started as auto body mechanics and were working with fiberglass and steel and discovered that they could use those same materials as a creative outlet. So for me, I've always been interested in storytelling and ever since I was a kid, I would write, draw, sculpt, photograph. And I think I was drawn to it because it really seemed like the perfect embodiment of all those different skill sets that I like to dabble in and a way to unify them into something cohesive that really drew on, on everything. Um, that being said, you know, I was steered that way, uh, consciously or unconsciously my my dad uh was a writer uh he's retired now but brought me up watching all kinds of movies especially ray harryhausen movies so from the time i was a kid i was introduced to uh all kinds of stop motion and one of our oldest family friends was actually a stop motion animator in the 80s he did all the little refrigerator uh people in peewee's playhouse so oh, no way you know i grew up uh with him kind of unofficially I, I wouldn't say he was mentoring me because both of both him and my father actively dissuaded me from doing anything in the film industry uh they're like from... here's all these great influences 
we're going to surround you with art constantly, but never, don't ever get into it. Exactly. No, I mean, they were, they're very supportive, but they also brought with them a sense of perspective and right. lived in brutal personal experience. So it's, it's that kind of thing where I grew up fascinated by it and had some great people pointing me in the right direction that also gave me a very realistic uh, perception and attitude of what it takes and how difficult it is. And uh, yeah, after that, I, I actually went to school focusing on live action and screenwriting. Uh, I went to CalArts and when I was there, the uh, experimental animation teacher, stop motion teacher was uh, Stephen Kyoto, who of course did right. Killer Clowns from Outer Space and all that good stuff. And even though I wasn't in the animation department, I started following him around on campus and bugging him to take his class. And he's just trying to get a coffee in your. <laughs> yeah, I know. I probably drove him nuts. But, uh, finally, I I wore him down, and he let me take his class. And he's the sweetest guy. And he ended up giving me my first day of paid work as an animator while I was still in school. He was doing some commercials, and oh wow, I don't know the schedule had run over or what? But he was grabbing like animators from his from his class to come pinch hit and so that was really my first uh my first step into that world going to a real studio and you know i had no experience and steven threw me on a shot and he's like okay so this is what's happening go and uh it was kind of trial by fire <laughs> and, uh, oh i mean that's that's pretty intense because you know he's got some great credits behind him and a lot of uh reputation and whatever and he was just like i trust you start animating for this commercial project i know it was uh it was a, a big a big show of trust and i hate to say maybe a little misguided i remember i mean i was taking his class so he'd seen yeah, me yeah, do yeah, the work and the exercises and stuff and uh, he had me show him a couple short films I had made on the side. And I remember him looking at it and going, he said it in a nicer way than this, but it was something like, so that animation is janky because your puppet sucked, right? Like you can do better than that if you have a good puppet. And I went, like, uh, yeah. sure. Yeah. Why not? Why would you um, say no? No, I can't animate better than this. <laughs> this is the best I can do. I mean, you said you kind of stumbled into stop motion, but it sounds like you were actively looking for opportunities. You went to film school. You you were hounding Stephen Kyoto. You took his class. Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I mean, I stumbled into do into that being my main professional focus. Right. I, I had always loved stop motion. I got my hands on a Super 8 camera when I was 10 years old and would make little matchbox cars crash into each other and, and douse them in lighter fluid and set them on fire and uh, <laughs> get in trouble. Your parents uh, look in the backyard and you're just... <laughs> uh, I did leave a stain on our driveway that I uh, was... I, I caught hell for that. But uh, yeah, you know, I always kind of straddled live action and stop motion yeah. and was especially interested, like I said, in Harryhausen and mixing mediums. So... When I say I stumbled into stop motion, it's always been something I'm passionate about. It's always been a part of me, but I never thought that that would be my entry into the film industry. Right. Uh, especially, you know, I graduated uh, college in 2008, right into the what I thought was going to be the only recession we'd see uh, in our lifetimes. But uh, well, <laughs> clearly I was wrong there. Um, 
but yeah, because I ended up focusing more and more on that, the, the film I made my senior year in college was a fully stop motion film that ended up going South by Southwest and sort of became a calling card for lack of a better word. And that just ended up getting me in the door yeah. at animation companies. And so for better or worse, I've been doing that ever since. Yeah. You know, I've talked to a lot of stop motion animators, myself included, and what you said, you know, a ton of different skills, an interest in telling story, making your own film. Stop motion is kind of like if you're unable to direct a feature film or, you know, coordinate that happening. Stop motion is I kind of see it as the, the next best way to make a film, a story yourself, essentially, because even 2D or 3D can take so much time and effort to make, in my opinion, more, more effort to make a a longer format short film than stop motion um absolutely and especially i don't know at least cg has evolved in in leaps and bounds since i first started out but i feel like it's way easier with tactile materials it's it's way easier to make a low budget stop motion movie look cool than yeah. it is to make a low budget CG or 2D movie look cool. So yeah, and with yeah. stop motion, there's always some like you know you you go back and watch the original Pixar commercials and shorts that they made, and they just look so uh, uh, not bad, but you know the technology has advanced so much that they just of the like, time. Oh, know? they look of the time, but stop motion somehow always keeps its appeal even when you go back and watch stuff from like you said ray harryhausen it's still cool to watch you know the cyclops and the sinbad the sailor characters and everything for sure it was a, it's a timeless technique and that's something i've been drawn to uh aesthetically in all my work whether it's stop motion or not like uh i don't know i grew up also watching like uh batman the animated series and right. i love that all the TVs on that show were black and white. All the cars looked kind of like forties cars, but the time period was ambiguous. And I don't know, I feel like that's coming back into vogue, even with movies like uh, it follows uh, just sort of these weird sort of amalgam uh, aesthetics of history. So yeah. Stop motion is great for that. So, so, okay. So you mentioned that your film, um, you know, became a calling card for you as an animator. Did that, was that kind of the kickstart of your professional career where suddenly people that needed animation that were going to these, these festivals and saying, we need stop motion animator. Oh, this guy has, has a short film. We're going to get in touch with him and hire him. Is that kind of how it went? Uh, Partially. I mean, that that's how it went in terms of me eventually getting uh, representation. Like I got a manager out of that short. And oh, wow. So you're like 23, 23, 24, something like that. Wow, that's pretty intense. Yeah. And at that time, honestly, like having a manager didn't really help. Never mind. That it, well, no, but it ended up helping later in my career as I tried to shift into into directing and writing and that mm. kind of I would say that the short as a calling card was more as a way of sort of proving my mettle when interviewing uh, for staff animator jobs at studios, again, through through Stephen and through uh, a lot of the students that I met at CalArts. Yeah. Uh, that was how I ended up getting my foot in the door at a lot of the stop mo houses in, in LA. Like I went to school with a, 
I'm going to just, I'm going to say a lovely, amazing man, uh, Musay Brooker, uh, who you may, you may know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, pretty, pretty legendary in the, in the stop motion world. Uh, so he was getting his master's while I was getting my undergrad at CalArts. And it was huh. funny. We were in the same class for a minute. And then he graduated and ended up teaching there while I was still a student. <laughs> so I watched him go from a uh, student to a teacher. Uh, anyway, so I'm rambling a little bit, but he basically, after I had made that film, was able to get me a meeting at uh, Shadow Machine, oh, nice. which was the company that used to do Robot Chicken. And uh, they were gearing up for another Adult Swim show at the time called Frankenhole. Uh, and through Mousset, I was able to get a meeting there, show them the short I made, which got me a uh, assistant animator position, you know, uh, kind of bottom bottom of the barrel, uh, but foot in the door, sweeping floors, building little wire rigs, uh, yeah. all, all that stuff. And I kind of lucked out with that show. You know, so much of this is right place at the right time type uh, type alignments but because that was the first season of a new show i was also able to have a hand in the art department and when i wasn't helping the animators i was building props and sets and you know stop motion compared to other mediums i feel like when you're planning and budgeting and scheduling there's a little more uncertainty because it is like a live action project maybe a scene takes longer to set up with the lights maybe a light blows out or a puppet breaks so you know for for various reasons that show got a little behind schedule and the animation director ended up throwing me on some shots to animate uh you know within a couple of months of being there and i had never animated professionally before save that one day at uh, Stephen kyoto's studio <laughs> so it it was great in the sense that it gave me a rare opportunity to advance pretty quickly yeah. uh, in the field. And it was also terrifying because I had never really animated professionally. And I kind of had to learn as I went on footage that was going to be put on the air no matter what. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of how, how I started there. Yeah. I mean uh, the, even the assistant animators that I've worked with, at the very few stop motion jobs I've had, there's always seems to be an opportunity to do more than just, you know, fixing things and running around. Like there usually seems to be like, if you really want it, there's an opportunity to to talk to the director and say, I want to animate on this shot. And, you know, this shot over here is small and it's set up right now. And the animator that's supposed to be on is something else. Like, can I squeeze in here? So, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. um, so I don't know if you can hear this fireworks going off in the background where I live for some I reason. I, I don't know if you can hear my dog with his squeak toy in the background. <laughs> I can't hear his squeak toy. You can't hear my fireworks. Great. <laughs> Fantastic. Your listeners okay. are missing out on a whole world of, uh, yeah. of sounds. So you mentioned before that, you know, your father and your family friend kind of set you up to say this can be a tough path. And, uh, you know, you're really going to have to grit your teeth at times. And that didn't dissuade you from pursuing this anyways. Uh, have you experienced, you also mentioned, you know, there's a, there's an economic downturn in 2008. Have you also, have you experienced kind of the, what they were talking about where this is a really tough path and uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta harden up to make it happen. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it's uh, 
not not to dissuade anybody because I think if it's something you're passionate about, it's one of the most rewarding things you can do. If you, yeah. If you can get paid to make art, uh, that's kind of the the dream. But yeah, you know, I've been I've never been on staff at a studio. I've been a, a professional freelancer my entire career, and I think it's knowing just the natural pitfalls that come with that uh stop motion and animation in general i think ebbs and flows and there's going to be there's going to be times where the phone's ringing off the hook and you're turning down jobs because uh everyone's in production and then there can be months that elapse where there's nothing and i think it's about being aware of that and learning how to budget and save yeah. and uh and and the main thing for me, honestly, what what's benefited the most is even if even if I'm not always able to uh uh follow my own advice, I think finding ways to stay creatively productive during professional lulls. Like I try whenever I'm not employed on a show or a commercial, I try to make a short or write a script or develop a pitch because you never know when having that in your back pocket is going to come in handy. Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I was going to ask you about, you know, how, besides the budgeting and, you know, saving money and whatever, how, like how do you emotionally manage these ups and downs where you could be working for months and months and then suddenly you, you end a job and the next day you have no idea if it's a month from now, two months from now, six months from now, where you're going to have a job again. So how do you, uh, you kind of said, you know, your strategy is to try to make something creatively in these downturns. How do you know how long a downturn is going to last? Like, do you just start a script and however much you get done is is good? Or do you like kind of say, you know, these three months for sure, I'm not going to have work. So this is what I'm going to get done in these three months. I mean, like you said, you never know when the phone is going to ring. So I it, it's gone both ways. I think for smaller personal projects, especially for something like a script where it's just you alone in the room, that's easy to pick up and work on for as long as you can. And then if I get a call about a commercial or something, I can put that on hold for a month or two and pick it back up. Uh, same with, uh, you know, over, over the pandemic, I was doing these little hybrid live action stop motion shorts in my garage, just kind of one man crew, uh, me acting, building miniatures, shooting on a green screen and, those were small enough that they're pretty easy to pick up and put down as needed. Yeah. I have had a couple of projects that had larger crew, you know, personal projects that had more of a team and had a lot more logistical stuff to line up. And in the case of those, I really had to say, okay, that job wrapped up. I'm taking these three months. I'm blocking this time because I need 20 other people in coordination to, give their time and I can't call them the day before we're supposed to shoot and say, Oh, <laughs> Hey, I, uh, I'm, I'm going to shoot a TV show. Right. But even then stuff always takes longer than, than you think it will. Like I took the time to shoot the live action, for example, for steel cutouts and kind of told everybody that I had worked for in the past. Hey, I'm off the grid for the next month to shoot this. Uh, yeah. But then when it came time to shoot the stop motion uh, components between between the, sh the live action shoot and the stop motion shoot, 
I got a call about directing a TV show. And so literally a year elapsed between when we had all the live action stuff in the can before I could start on the stop motion. But, you know, it, yeah. was, it, was, it paid the rent. It was a good opportunity. And so it was like, totally. Right, Did you get all the actors emailing you being like, hey, when's when's the film coming out? <laughs> like... <laughs> Luckily, they all had an understanding of how meticulous animation is and how long okay. it takes. So, I mean, that, <laughs> you for, just didn't for tell all you I know, directing a TV show, you're like, oh no, I'm animating. It's just meticulous. <laughs> I'm working on it. Yeah. They, they may have thought I was in my garage doing the stop motion that whole time. Uh, I don't know. But, maybe, uh, maybe you can give me some advice. So, you know, before this, before we hit record, I was telling you a little bit about my, my career path, which, you know, I was in business where you get benefits and it was a very, it's not, you know, it can be as clear cut as you want it to be. But like, you know, I was, I had kind of my career figured out the next stages that I wanted to be at, you know, be a director, VP, et cetera, et cetera. And like, in my mind, I was like, all right, this time I'm going to have a house, this time I'm going to retire, blah, blah, blah. And then now that I'm in animation, my whole future, when I think about it, just feels like a big fuzzy cloud that <laughs> has no yeah. definition because even last year, I had no idea whatsoever that I'd be working. I'm working on a video game right now, but that only became about because I was walking my dog and my neighbor down the street was walking her dog. And we just we just know each other. And we're animators. And she was like, oh, hey, I just got this new opportunity. You should jump on it. Meanwhile, here I am a year later working on this this video game with her and the team that I had no clue that I'd be on. It just happened. So, like, how do you deal with uh, you know, projecting your future when you don't know what's coming and you're kind of used to these ebbs and flows of work and not work and, you know, directing a TV show. Now you're working on a commercial. Now you're animating on something else. That's a great question. And I think uh, not to not to dance around it. I, I honestly think that everyone's everyone's projected future is is subjective. I think it really depends on what your long-term goals in animation are and sort of seeing the path to get there. The, the unfortunate truth about the industry is that there is no real certainty. So much like so much of it is outside our control being in the right place at the right time enough yeah. shows being greenlit that require like our particular skill sets um so again i think for me i try like my my blue skies end goal personally and i don't know about yours whether it's to continue as an animator or to end up as you know in more of a supervising position or to produce and direct your own animated films uh for me and I, I was never shy about <laughs> telling people this, and that's maybe a, a pro and a con. Uh, being an, an animator specifically, while it is something I love to do, that was never my my end goal in the industry. Uh, you know, there are so many more talented and brilliant animators better than me that have chosen. Yeah animation itself as a career path and i feel like i never got i never got too comfortable there <laughs> and as a result i didn't learn as much as uh i might have about the nuances of uh you know acting and character animation all, all that stuff um i got a little 
sidetracked. I guess, so, I guess so what is the what is your end goal? If, you know, you've been an animator for most of your career, besides you know projects here and there that you're directing. Is it to be a director? Yeah, my end goal, like if if I could do anything, it would be to write, direct, and produce my own films and TV shows, both in the uh, animation and live action and hybrid yeah. spaces. Um, and I guess I guess that's part of the answer too, in terms of projecting fuzzy into the future. That's my goal, but within that goal inherently there's diver there's diversification like i've had to learn so many things in order to pursue that and i don't mind doing any one of those if an opportunity comes up you know i yeah i will still animate i'll still build sets uh i recently you know i do a little bit of illustration and graphic design like i recently did a pitch deck for somebody uh for hire just because <laughs> i didn't have anything going on that week and uh makes sense you know i think it's uh i i don't like the word hustling uh so it feels kind of i don't know it feels it feels like a buzzword and it feels insincere i don't know yeah i, 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 I dislike hustling for the same reason i dislike the word networking <laughs> um, I I think it's more important. Like I I try not to network. I try to build actual friendships and relationships. And I guess that plays into my long term. Hey, that is to... the secret to networking. <laughs> yeah, I guess it is. Well, like you said, you you bumped into your neighbor walking the dog. And yeah, exactly. That's the, that's the, networking too. <laughs> the, the show I directed in twenty twenty one. Uh, was through a producer friend that I used to work with at Starburns Industries like 10 years ago. And we haven't really hung out or chatted since, but it's like, okay, you know, I, I think it's just doing the work that comes along when you get it, pushing yeah. yourself to do your own work when that's not there and cultivating those friendships because that, that's what leads to, to stuff in the future. I want to carry this thread, but I, I have a question that I wanted to wrap up from before. Maybe it's not warranted now, but <laughs> you've been an animator, a freelance animator going on totally different projects all the time. What is in your toolkit that you're like, this is my tried and tested show up on day one and go? Uh well, it's funny because you say we're stop motion here. Are you talking physical toolkit or uh Both. Or, or... Yeah, like physical toolkit, like tool what's kit. you show up to the set and you're freelance and it's day one and they trust you, you know, what do you do to prepare yourself mentally every single time for different projects? And also what's in your physical toolkit that you're like, this is this is what I just I know to bring. I'm just curious because I also jumped yeah. on a random stop motion uh, project last winter and i brought absolutely everything i could think of because i was like i showed up with a duffel bag two duffel bags like that so i'm ready <laughs> yeah i mean i have i have my big wooden tackle box of stuff you know <laughs> random allen wrenches and pliers and snips and all kinds of sticky yeah. stuff like all the all the standard rigging stuff and a nice well-worn wooden box uh Comfortable shoes is key. Uh, yeah. Personally, I like uh, I like Echoes. Uh, oh, he's got the shoe recommendations out here. <laughs> that, that was recommended to me by Sienok uh, Mariana uh, years ago, um, and I find too 
gonna sound curmudgeonly here, but the the older I get, the more stop motion does take a toll on my oh, body. Yeah, <laughs> so sure. shoes are key. Other than that, you know, showing up to set, I guess the more sort of cerebral answer there. The stop motion community on the West Coast is pretty small. It's still a niche uh, art form. And so a lot of times, even if it's a new show or commercial or something that I'm walking into cold, I'll know somebody there. I'll know the other animators. I'll know the director. I'll know the production manager. So there's at least a familiar face, which is nice. But uh, in, in terms of preparation, I think the biggest thing is familiarizing yourself as much as possible with what's been shot before if you're gotcha. coming in mid-production i might spend the whole first day just watching dailies or watching animation tests if no footage has been shot yet i think just learning and absorbing as much as you can what's working and what's not and having a conversation with the director uh getting influences from them what kind of animation do you like did you like this uh was this too over the top because, uh, you know, especially in stop motion for, for TV and even now uh, commercials as well, although it wasn't always the case, uh, oftentimes you only get one take. And yeah. That ends up being what airs. And I've been on both sides of that as an animator and a director. So the more you can, the more you can prep yourself and the more you can communicate in advance with the director or whoever the creative leads on the team are. Uh, I found the better time I have. I try to ask every question, no matter how uh, minute or stupid. Yeah. Do you, do you ever get a lot of pressure to just start going right away? Because, you know, if you're hired as freelance, they're paying you per, I guess they're paying everybody per hour or day or whatever, but. Um, on a, on a, com on a commercial, yes. On, on TV, not as much because. You know, right. I, I wouldn't be hired generally for just like a week of a TV show. So what do you say that, to the director of a commercial shoot when you want to take time and really get to, you know, do your information search and uh, familiarize yourself versus they're like, can you just start shooting right now? Um, It's a good question. Honestly, I've never had anybody say, can you right. just start shooting <laughs> right now? I think part of that is the nature of commercial shoots. Those tend to be very client heavy and I've animated and I've directed a lot of commercials and I can tell you there's so much downtime if you're an animator on a commercial, just waiting, waiting for, for approvals. Yeah. yeah, waiting for a room full of eight clients to sign off on the framing of the shot. And then one of them says, oh, could that slash of light move to the left a little? And the DP says- And none of them are creators. Yeah, <laughs> so- you know, I would say for me, if as an animator, I've learned to use that time. I'm not, if I'm if I'm there at eight a.m. and we're not shooting until three in the afternoon, I'm not standing yeah. around just like having snacks. I'm off on an empty stage watching the director's past work, watching other campaigns for that kind of product. Just you know, trying to sponge everything I can so that when it is go time, yeah. uh, I, I come in as prepared as possible. Uh, I'm also a pretty fast animator, so that helps That's uh, good. For, for um, better or worse. Yeah. Okay. So uh, just catching up on our conversation from earlier where you said, you know, uh, a conversation from 10, uh, somebody you knew from 10 years ago from networking gave you a producing, it was a producing opportunity. 
Uh, directing opportunity. Directing opportunity. You know, how do you how do you become somebody that people trust to do? How do I say this? You've been, you know, you started as an assistant animator, and then you've obviously built up a repertoire that people trust you to take on bigger and bigger projects to the point where you're directing a TV show or directing a short film. How do you build up that trust in other people when your your bread and butter is like specifically animating and not directing? How do you become the person they go, oh, yeah, you can do this, even though we know you primarily as an animator? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think uh, part of it is, like I said, trying to make your own content on the side. Yeah. Uh, you know, at, at this point in my career, I, I have a lot of credits uh, as a director, both on the commercial and TV side. So it's it's easier if I'm put up for a job. Well, it's easier to get a meeting or it's easier to kind of talk about it and uh, be taken seriously. Uh, but when I started and was mostly animating full time, I think walking into the owners of a studio or the talking to the director of a show with a DVD, uh, at, as it was at the time, or a Vimeo link and saying, hey, uh, I made this on the last hiatus. I thought you might enjoy it. You know, hey, here's here's a three minute short that I wrote, produced and directed. I think just that that can plant the seed in their heads of, oh, this person is motivated and yeah. has, an, has an eye and can make things. Uh, and the other piece of it, I think, is just, if that is if if that is something you're interested in, I've always been very vocal with directors, studio owners, animation directors. Hey, I'm interested in yeah. directing. If you have a small commercial or a second unit or something, like I would love to throw my name in the hat and be considered for something like that. Totally. Um, the the throwing your name in the hat makes 100% sense to me. But when you said that you go to the director or whoever's running the owner or whatever, and you say, here's, here's a video I made, can you watch it? Like, my immediate reaction would be like, I, I, I wouldn't do, I don't know. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. I feel like, oh, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like force this person to watch it and then wait silently for their reaction. Or like, you know, I, I don't really send my work to other people i guess like i feel too embarrassed that's fair i mean it it's a scary thing putting yeah. your work out there i'm never more uncomfortable or on the verge of a panic attack than when i'm watching like a film of my own with an audience at a right. i don't even want to be in the room and i don't want I anybody it. to say anything yeah. afterwards i'd rather they just be silent <laughs> well that's why i like to give somebody a disc or a thumb drive or a link and then walk Watch away on your own time way. <laughs> no pressure if they watch it and hate it they don't have to re-engage the conversation with me yeah like, it, it's kind of it's kind of win-win because if they like it they'll talk to you about it and totally. if not or if they don't want to watch it no no harm done but yeah i think there's a little bit of a uh, little bit of shamelessness there <laughs> and yeah, i guess uh, you got to. and also bonus. i was just thinking if somebody sent me a link to their stuff i always view it i'm always interested in animation as an animator i just want to see what other people make so it makes i guess it makes sense and you're like oh you know you can look and see what uh the person excels in just from watching something they made is it the story is it the animation is it the cinematography is it a combination of things etc so that 
that makes a lot of sense. So why don't why don't we chat about? Sorry, uh, I don't know if you were. Uh, did I cut you off just there? No, no. I just I think I think that's right. And I always encourage uh, other animators and you know anyone on on a shoot or a set to share their work with me. I love to see what everybody's personal sensibilities are. Uh, Bombard Harry with all your work now. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. So okay, why don't we chat about uh, still cutouts? Because you know that sure. uh, is this your biggest personal project yet? This is my biggest personal project to date. So that, yeah, I mean that ha that hasn't been a project that I've sold. Uh, you know, I've I've done like I created a web series and a couple other animated things that were original for various places. But in terms of not being affiliated with a network or a production company or anything. This is my biggest project. Uh, so maybe today. can you give, uh, for those who, it's online now for Watch for Free. It's done it the is. festival. All right, is it? Is it not? It is. It is, yeah. yeah it's, it's on video. It's online for free, baby. It's yeah, <laughs> sorry, I thought you were questioning me. I was like, wait a minute, I've seen it. <laughs> um, so can you maybe give a short overview for those who don't, uh, haven't seen it, what it's about? And then we'll Absolutely. chat about it. Yeah, so Steel Cut Oats is the title, and it's a live-action, stop-motion, hybrid short film starring Rachel Bloom, Brian George, and Payan Banifaz. And it's sort of a pulpy, noir, loose retelling of the golem folktale from Eastern Europe. Uh, it tells the story of a washed-up boxer who builds a giant creature out of oatmeal to protect himself from some evil mobster guys, but he ends up raising the creature as a son and teaching it how to box just like he did. And it's sort of a poignant meditation on legacy and, you know, how we encourage or discourage our children from following in our footsteps. And it's also got a big fight scene between a radioactive oatmeal monster and a giant uh, steam powered robot. So that's yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. And the stop motion is done exquisitely and the acting and everything. The cinematography is great. I'm wondering, you know, um, how did this, you know, there's obviously quite a budget. There's quite a few people involved in this and this was all headed up by you. How did this start to happen? Yeah, it uh, it was a massive undertaking. The project all said and done is six years in the making. Wow, six uh, years. Yeah, I mean, keep keeping in mind what I said before, half of that time was spent doing other things. Yeah, and but raising still, money like, you know, I had, I had a side project that was about a year long and I was like, thank goodness this is done now. <laughs> yeah, no, I've been living with this with this oatmeal baby for, for a long time. Uh, the yeah, last two years... The last two years, actually, I had it in development at Warner Animation uh, to pitch as a series. Wow. Uh, and that kind of, that that's why it's been in the dark for the last couple of years. But now that it's out in the world, we're going to get ready to pitch it as a show again. So I'm excited about that. Amazing. Uh, so, Guillermo, you know. Guillermo del Toro, if you're listening, uh, <laughs> I would love to talk to you. You know, I've tried to have him <laughs> on this podcast a couple of times, but he's a hard to hard to reach guy. So tough, tough if I ever do, I'll get them to watch Steel Cutouts. How about that? Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, but yeah, in terms of how it started, you know, I had actually written the original idea for the story back in college. I was in the supermarket uh, buying groceries and I looked at a can of Steel Cut oatmeal and thought that Steel Cut Oats sounded like an old timey boxing name. 
so from that stupid random thought uh, came the seed of the idea. <laughs> and then I didn't do anything with it for a decade. And finally decided I wanted to make something that was ambitious and combined stop motion and live action and, you know, told kind of an emotional story that I cared about. And I decided to, uh, I decided to crowdfund it. This is my first and only foray into Kickstarter was wow. how we, how we pulled together the budget for this, uh, you know, other than supporting other people's Kickstarters, obviously this is the only one I've ever, uh, ever run. How okay, I didn't know that, but um, how do you go from because uh, how do you advertise a Kickstarter to get funded? You know, like that's something I think about every once in a while. Like, I'd love to fund a ambitious project myself, but I don't have an audience really. Like, I don't have millions of mm -hmm. followers. Like, other than like direct family and friends who may contribute a little bit. Like, I'm I'm too worried about like I'm not gonna even get any money, and then what? Like, how yeah. did how did that happen? Uh. It was it was hard, <laughs> yeah. and uh, you know I feel like I learned a lot doing it that I would do differently uh, if I was to do another one. But it was a lot of lot of emailing. It was uh, a lot. I, I I think like the the biggest takeaway for me was if you're going to crowdfund something, do as much of it as you possibly can yourself before asking for any money. Like. I think if I were to do it again, I would have tried to maybe uh, pay for the puppet build out of pocket and do some test animation. Like the more content you can create and put on Instagram or just kind of seed yeah. out into the world, the easier it is to build an audience. I think for the for the campaign as as I ran it, I had built I built a maquette of the character and thought that might be enough built a maquette i kind of pulled i pulled the core team together i worked with this amazing uh storyboard artist named uh, ashley lens uh fellow canadian um and he's he's got a ton of credits he worked at disney he worked on the simpsons and so he drew up some beautiful production art uh prior to the kickstarter that we were able to use to to advertise and then honestly it was just a lot of grassroots emailing different websites and blogs about animation and horror and noir um i think the landscape has changed a little bit even in the six years since we ran it i think it's a lot harder now even than it was when i did it to get places to give press to crowdfunding campaigns just because they've become so ubiquitous but yeah i mean it was Really just, like I said, a lot of emails, a lot of phone calls, figuring out ways to expand the group of people I already had access to. Yeah, Wor Working in animation helped because I've, you know, I've funded so many uh, or contributed to so many acquaintances projects that <laughs> there's at least a little quid pro quo of, hey, I gave you 25 bucks for your cartoon. Can, yeah, you can you give me a hundred back? back or, or at least uh, share the campaign around with uh, all your friends. So fair, fair. Uh, yeah, you know, it was a lot of, a lot of blood, sweat and tears, yeah. but we were able uh, miraculously to raise the budget for it. That's quite impressive. You know, you have to have real, 
stamina and determination to make that happen. But this was, this was a story where you were just grocery shopping and, you know, I, I steal cutouts for my oatmeal every morning and I've never had that thought once. (laughs) But you know, you were like, this is the idea that I want to run with and put all this energy and effort into that's, that's quite impressive, especially because it took you. Um, so, okay. So what about like, you know, most of your experience has been in, in stop motion and animation, you know, hiring actors and working with live action, et cetera. Like, you know, how did you coordinate all of that? Were you in charge of that? Did you hire a producer from the, the budget you got? Like a uh, little bit of both. We had a great producer on the project named Laura Allen, who I met uh, at Stupid Buddy Studios initially. Uh, it's funny because she's really an animation producer, but uh the skill set applies for live action as well. Yeah. Uh, worked with her, another friend of mine uh, who works over at, or at the time he worked at uh, Absolutely Productions with the Tim and Eric guys, uh, Andrew Porter. He had a lot of connections to live actors. Like his whole job was kind of <laughs> You didn't get Tim and there. Eric on your... On didn't your... get Tim and Eric, <laughs> but uh, that would have been a very different movie. <laughs> um but honestly, like a lot of the cast uh, were friends. Like I have a lot of close friends in the UCB improv community. My oh, best see, friend since middle school, Justin Michael, who was like my biggest supporter running the whole campaign. He's an actor and an improv comedian and he shows up in the movie. And I, I, I joke that he was my unofficial casting director because he looked at the script with me and we kind of went through the roster of people we knew or people who knew people we know and kind of mentally head cast it and really just started sending out emails and saying, Hey, uh, I'm a crazy uh, misanthropic animator. Do you want to be in this weird oatmeal movie? And more <laughs> often than not, people were receptive <laughs> and yeah. we, we were able to pull together a pretty fun cast. That's, that's amazing. I mean, you know, I've been involved in random weird things over the years, and I have more apt to say yes to something indie and weird than like a full scale production. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's it's about being cognizant of people's time too. Yeah, like with, yeah. the, with the exception of Payam, who played the main character in the flashback, I don't think we asked for more than a day or two of anybody oh, else's wow. time. It was a seven or eight day shoot. Um you know, finding finding our main guy was the biggest commitment. And for the most part, everybody else was willing to to come out and and lend a hand. And oh, it helped, honestly, uh, that we ran the Kickstarter because that allowed us to go SAG and we were able to pay people to act, even if it was the, the SAG ultra, ultra, lo- like your budget so low, it's funny, minimum. Uh, <laughs> you know, that at least uh, was able to guarantee that people would come out for the day and give them a little something to show appreciation yeah. for i'm, in, I'm impressed you shot everything in eight days because there's multiple locations it's uh, you know people had lines like uh, the lighting is different like multiple sh- so that's really impressive i'm you know i'm wondering this is something you've been working on for six years you went through a crazy amount of work trying to get the kickstarter going and then afterwards obviously years and years of production and shooting and uh, having it mentally on your mind as you're taking other jobs and the stop motion puppets are sitting in your garage. Um, how does it feel? You know, you're fresh, fresh a few weeks after it's, and also going through development with the giant studio. That's crazy. How does it feel now that it's all over? It's, it's not all over, but like that it exists. 
It's it's a relief, honestly. It's funny because I think because of the two years uh, we were developing it as a series, uh, the immediacy of the short being finished, kind of that aura has has worn off. So mm. I don't like I'm happy it's out in the world, and I'm I'm really excited uh, now that it's online for free for a whole new audience of people to be able to see it and hopefully enjoy it uh but mm -hmm. i feel like i've i've creatively and mentally made peace with it uh for a couple of years now like the things that i wish i had done differently or could be better i've let go the things that i feel good about i'm holding on to but it's not still releasing those endorphins of like hey we made a movie uh i think now for me it's it's a relief to have it out there and it's it's galvanizing both to share it with the world and hopefully take it out as a pitch uh again sometime this year and more than that really to just be able to emotionally and mentally move on to a new project totally know? or continue on with steel cutouts forever yeah, <laughs> it becomes a series i love i love making stuff more than having made stuff so I see. Uh, yeah now that it's released i'm just i'm ready for whatever's next i feel that too it's more about the process uh sure. you know having made something and putting it out there feels amazing but if you didn't love the process you wouldn't you wouldn't do it yeah no no one would be that masochistic yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot yeah well i'm sure there's a couple of people who are but that's you know that's incredible and congratulations i think you should be Thank super you. proud and you know it's very rare to accomplish something to the degree that you have even as animators who animate all the time to make something of that caliber production quality it's like 15 minutes long like to involve that many people i think is quite impressive so congratulations yeah, yeah that's actually i'll, I'll quote uh Musse brooker again you know he teaches stop motion at usc uh, and i've spoken to his class a few times and something that he impresses on all his students which i love is make a short film now because you don't know when the next time is that oh, yeah. you're going to be in this environment with this kind of support and equipment like i i know that it's uh it's a rare privilege to be able to put something together on that scale and, totally i mean when else are you going to take a year off and make something it's, it, you yeah. don't really do that once you're in the professional world yeah it gets harder and harder uh both yeah. to, to get people to come out and donate their time and also to be able to put your own uh pay the bills jobs on hold so totally yeah yeah get other people to help you out with the time is a big one too yeah exactly so okay so you know you just put up this film you're a freelance animator what's next for you you wanted to get in, you want to get into directing is you know uh you said you're going to be pushing this project as a pitch do you have something else in the works at the same time or Always, always stuff in the works. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, like I said, going to be taking this out this year. Uh, I wrote a ton last year. I've got uh, a new original feature script. That's another. You wrote a feature action. script. I've written. I've written quite a few. You've <laughs> written five hundred feature scripts. Five hundred? No, not five hundred. I think this is my seventh or eighth. Oh my um, goodness! Wow, that's that's you're crazy. I I mean, I tried to write a well, I tried to write a feature script and end up turning into a fantasy novel. But hey, even better. I, that uh, took me that took me years and years and years just to make one thing, and here you I, have seven. I'd like to read that. To you. Well, it's uh, at some point I'm gonna have to publish it. <laughs> 
send it to me when you do or if you want uh, all right so you'll people. be number one so okay so you know you've got you, you've got uh steel cutouts you're animating on the side you've got some feature scripts that you're shopping around um this all sounds amazing yeah yeah you know just trying to trying to figure out what's next i'm i'm attached as a director to another project that yeah. i can't really talk about right now but we're also going to be taking that out in the next few months here to try to set up with a buyer so oh, nice you know hopefully hopefully one of these things will pop <laughs> and uh and i'll get to make something else soon nice you mentioned you know finishing this uh steel cutouts there were a lot uh, like the whole process there were things that you would have done differently next time or whatnot is that part of the continuous learning as you know as you direct different things that has gotten you bigger projects as well where you're able to you know go to people and say you know i had the experience i know what's what and how things get done etc oh yeah for sure i mean just for example like steel cutouts was the first project where i was really heavily directing actors and also working with you know some bigger name actors that we were lucky enough to get like the doing that prepared me for my next tv directing job where i was directing uh even like other name actors you know it, yeah it, like wow. doing that doing that short allowed me to walk into a room with somebody like seth rogan or sarah silverman and say okay i feel confident enough to get through this voiceover session and and not put my foot in my mouth so wow. i think every every project you do prepares you in ways that you can't even anticipate for for whatever's next um, it, it kind of just i mean we haven't been chatting for very long um but it kind of sounds like your passion and ability to create your own projects has expanded your knowledge and experience which has drastically helped your professional career as well do you i think so yeah. do you think you would be where you are now if you worked a full-time studio job instead i don't think so i think every every like every big opportunity that i've had has in one way or another come out of a personal project that i've done in my downtime like oh. i i uh with my with my UCB uh, comedy friends, we created and sold a web series in 2014 uh, called Friendship All Stars. That was a you know it was a, it was kind of a comedy sketch thing about B-list celebrity roommates living together and having mundane conversations. That only came about because we all teamed up and said that we wanted to make a short film about Ron Perlman and Guillermo del Toro living together and hanging out and. You know, we took that all the way through animatic and built the puppets on spec and we're ready to just shoot that as a a one-off passion project. And I had that animatic and the guys at Stupid Buddy said, hey, do you have anything you're working on? And I showed it to them and uh, Seth Green loved it. And Matt Sinrush said it was the dumbest thing he'd ever seen in his entire life. And uh, there's no way they're going to make it. <laughs> I'm kidding. I love Matt. Um <laughs> But he's been on this podcast, by the way. Has it? <laughs> as it, as awesome. have Stephen yeah. Kyoto as well. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. No, they're all they're all good guys. And uh, yeah, Matt yeah. Matt did come around. He didn't tell me uh, how skeptical <laughs> he was about it uh, until after we sold it. And I said, Oh wow! Well, thanks for not telling me that because that would have shattered my confidence. 
For sure. Anyway, point point being uh. that all came out of a personal project that we were ready to pull the trigger on animating. I was going to animate it in my bathroom at my old apartment because it had a floor that I could hot glue to. Um, so yeah, literally, it, it it might years might pass, but I feel like every op, every big opportunity that's come along has somehow come from uh, huh. a, a personal project that I've produced or written. Nice. So taking that time has been has been really important amazing yeah it sounds it sounds really insightful actually um because you know i i talk to a lot of animators and a lot of people express that they wish they could work on their own things they just don't have the time or the money really um but it also sounds like you're being very you know uh like you're ready to animate on your bathroom floor uh so <laughs> i guess slowly building yourself up to you know i'm wondering is it if there's people listening or even myself you know and they want to expand and kind of end up where you're at where they want to direct their own projects and get into directing besides you know um doing your own stuff on the side and expanding your skill set and experience that way is there another quality you'd say to really focus on to to get there that you've that you've done yeah, I mean, I think if, if you're talking about people that are already working uh, as animators or in animation, I think observation is huge. Mm. Every every good animator is a good observer anyway, whether it's walking down the street and looking at the way somebody uh, moves and going, oh, that's interesting. Uh, but I think also just observing directors and internalizing that i've worked with a lot of directors as an animator and in addition to just you know getting the job done and doing what's asked i try to think about oh like what's their technique do i as an animator like the way that they're directing yeah. uh, or do i see something that shows me oh i would do that differently or i would have gone about that differently for that result so i think I think watching people that work in the positions that you want to be working in uh, and learning from that and also not being afraid to ask them questions. Just just as I'm interested about how different people get into different positions in animation, I'm always curious about directors and their stories. Um, yeah. You know, I've worked with animation directors that started as animators and have like a really empathetic technical approach and I've worked with with directors that started in live action and don't know step one about making a puppet move and are coming from a much more uh, cerebral story place. And, you know, I think they're both approaches can work, but uh, kind of understanding where they're coming from and thinking about how you can extrapolate and, and use that uh, if and when you get the opportunity is helpful. Yeah. Well, I mean, that makes sense. And it almost is like you have kind of the unique perspective of both worlds because there's not many people that do stop motion live action together. And, you know, you've got both of those experiences, too. Um, you know, Harry, we've chatted about where you came from, your career, the ups and downs, uh, what you what you're trying to do, the film that just came out. Is there anything that we uh, didn't talk about that you think would be, you know, interesting to to, to hear is I'm listening or other people are listening to our chat about your career or your philosophy on animation or creating or anything like that. That's a, that's a good question. <laughs> I'm just I don't, question. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I uh, feel like we, 
we covered a lot i think yeah i guess philosophically i would just say for myself i've found success and i enjoy seeing work by people in this same vein like i think i, th I think it's a, i think it's important to create the things you want to make rather than making something that you think somebody wants to see oh man um, that's the that's the biggest thing on my mind lately <laughs> yeah because you know, especially having, with having, social media where like you know you make something that you want to make and the algorithm does not care but then you look oh, at know, people I mean, who are making stuff that you know the algorithm loves and they are getting tons of attention it's it's kind of tough to to be faced with that as a creator it is and you know social media hates me yeah they especially with stop motion because it takes so much effort it. to make one little thing <laughs> yeah but social media but doesn't think, care but i think that's why it's important it does take so much effort to make that one little thing i mean like you said a few minutes ago the process matters more totally. than, than yeah. having finished the movie i think if you're going to put in the time it has to come from uh, even if it's weird because we're all weird like it has to come from a genuine place and i think again even if it doesn't blow up on instagram because my stuff yeah. certainly has not it it leads to things down the line i think it's i think stop motion because it's so tedious uh it's a long game and and you got to make work that you care about for that reason because you know well and in, in the process itself too like um you know I know I can do the things that the algorithm will like, but I'm not going to enjoy the process because the process for me includes a lot of me just thinking in my imagination about how cool the thing that I want to make is going to come to life versus like, if I don't care about something, then I, then what's the point of even doing it? <laughs> right. Well, it's like, you know, uh, I look at, I look at the stuff that Pess puts out, uh, yeah. which the internet loves and i actually co-directed totally. i co-directed a commercial with pess uh, a few years ago and he's the nicest guy but that's totally who he is you know yeah. he goes to flea markets and finds weird buttons and old pieces of hardware and loves to animate that like could i do something like that sure like the animation is yeah bring bring me on and pay me as an animator i'll do it <laughs> well yeah but you know, I'm just saying, like, I, I think that his algorithm is fed by that because that's what he loves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like to think that I, I that's I, I can appreciate it, but that's not what I would want to spend hours and hours doing because uh, he does it better. <laughs> and, totally. uh, yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. So, um, you know, if, if there isn't anything else that uh, you wanted to add or as, as somebody's listening, you know, maybe they're a new animator starting out and trying to get their chops as you have tons of experience in different uh, scenarios, if you have anything for them, maybe. For new animators, I think the biggest thing, this is going to sound like a variation on what I just said, but the difference is subtle. Uh ask questions and get critiqued yeah. by other, by other animators. I think, you know, when I started to evolve as an animator and I said earlier, I don't consider myself uh, a great animator, I consider myself a passable animator, but I only became passable by practicing and showing that work to much better animators for them to pick it apart and show me, you know, where the physics were off or where an increment wasn't tracking. So 
the more you can practice and the more you can get critiqued by people that really know what they're doing, uh, the better off you'll be. And yeah. I found that most animators tend to be very kind and, and giving of their time. So take advantage of that. People as people you're teach. doing right now, being kind of giving <laughs> of your time. And, you know, I think that's great advice for anybody in any even if you're not starting out, you know, critique is so important regardless of, especially in creating animation and art and because you're being consumed, it's being consumed by somebody else. So yeah. Um, and even, even though animation is solitary, it's collaborative too. Yeah. Like I'll still, if I'm animating a shot and I'm not sure about something, I'll go the next stage over and grab a friend who's an animator and say, Hey, like, is this working? What's weird here? Sometimes you just need that perspective. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Well, Harry, uh, you know, it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast and pick your brain and hear all about the cool projects you've been working on and where it's going. So thank you so much for coming on. Likewise. Thank you so much. It's been great yeah. talking with you. Of, uh, of course. And if to listening to future episodes. <laughs> you have to be a subscriber now. <laughs> uh, and, you know, if you're listening and you want to check out Harry's film, Steel Cutouts, or just his work, or uh, just get in touch with him in general, you can check out his website, which is harrychaskin.com. And I'm also going to include a link to the Vimeo film and his Instagram as well. So please check those out. They'll be in the description of this chat. And that's all for now. Thank you so much for listening. Okay, bye. The music for this podcast was composed by Will Farmer and the graphics by Daniel Abensauer. I encourage you to look them up if you enjoyed their work.